welcome. You are listening to Grace Capital Church Podcast. Well, well, well. Is everyone feeling good today? And we're going we're gonna to go to places. We're going to see what the Word has to say. Are we ready to do that? You're ready to do that. Awesome. So let me start off with a quick story. It was Valentine's Day about four years ago. Um, it was, uh, I was not thinking, uh, love wasn't in the air for me for some reason. It was uh, more of what I had to do in getting things done. So uh, as you guys, some of you know, I, I produce music and record people and stuff like that. So at the time, I had booked a recording. Someone was going to come over and we were going to do production. This is on Valentine's Day. And sort of, it, I, I knew it was Valentine's Day. I just, for some reason, it, I just completely spaced the fact that you probably want to spend that, if, you know, it's, it's kind of a layup. If you don't know what to do for your spouse or for the person that you love, Valentine's Day is a great opportunity to do something. Uh, I don't know why I didn't do anything. So, uh, well, needless to say, that didn't go over well. And uh, my wife was uh, just kind of like confused and what's going on. And clearly there's a reason why I didn't and I need to defend that because um, I'm never wrong. So I shared, so we got into this conversation and got into a fight and and, uh, I mean, it was all me, of course, because, I mean, clearly it was a screw-up. So, you did something wrong. It's like, well, no, I didn't really, and here's why. And before we never did that, it's like, that's ridiculous. So, that was uh, a, a very bad experience for me, and I have learned my lesson for sure. But, you know, I, I, say, that, I say that story to tell you really, you know, last week we talked about, uh, we talked about sin, we talked about Satan. We talked about this relationship. We talked about what sin did to the relationship. And, and I think just like in this situation with Laura and I's relationship, it didn't end the relationship. This Valentine's Day blunder that I did, it didn't end it, but it sure did cause a disruption in fellowship. That makes sense? The relationship with her and I, it's not like, well, sayonara, we're at, you know, that's not how it worked. Uh, It didn't work that way, but fellowship was destroyed. Fellowship was broken. And so when we think about Adam and Eve and in the garden and what happened, we could put the slide up. Humanity broke fellowship with God. There's a guy that's famous in New Hampshire. Ever heard of him? Dean Kamen. Uh, He invented something called what? The Segway. Yeah, you guys know your NH history. So Dean Kamen, Decker Research, he invented this incredible thing, and he's, you know, a rock star scientist. There is no way that Dean Kamen could ever decide to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to remove myself from the Segway. You know what, I did it, I invented it, it was great, now we're going to part ways. I'm never going to really talk about that again, and it's kind of like, it's on to the next thing. You know that would never happen. Even if he wanted to do that, everyone in 50 years when the Segway is in an, an antique store, who, well, what's the history behind this? Oh, who was the inventor? Dean Kamen. You go to Wikipedia, they'll never take his name off, the, off that inventor's list. He was the guy that invented that. And I think the creator and the creation always will have some sort of, they're going to be in relationship, either by association or just by general relationship. And I think that's how God is with us. Fellowship was broken, but there was still this relationship that continued. So let's highlight what happened there and how fellowship was broken. Um, If you'll turn with me to Genesis 3, 7 through 10, I'm just going to sort of breeze through and, and talk about this. It's not our main text, but it brings some clarity. I don't hear a lot of page flipping, but I hear a lot of...
Genesis 3, 7 through 10. It says, and the eyes of both were opened. And so, actually, everybody, this is kind of where we kicked off from last week. We ended up, I think, verse 7. Um, but, so verse 7, then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking into the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife said, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to them, to the man, and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. So as some of you know, maybe some of you don't, what happened was is Adam and Eve broke fellowship with God because they did something he said they shouldn't do, and they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as they did that, it was the sin that comes up. You know, when you make a bad choice, you feel bad about it, you feel guilty, you feel ashamed. That's kind of what happened. And so in that moment, because they were perfect, they had never done anything like that before. They experienced what you and I experienced when we were like, oh my gosh, I feel convicted. I did something wrong. I need to repent. Repentance necessarily wasn't there, so they were left with this conflict. And so that's where this fellowship was broken. So in verse 21, you fast forward. It says that God took animal skin and covered them. So God, really in a way, a really unique way, in foretelling of what Jesus would do for everybody's sin, he takes an animal. And I really want, let's put ourselves there, what's going on, okay? So you have the, you know, Adam and Eve there, what, what is going on here? I can't believe what we did. And then God in that moment takes an animal. So they have dominion, but they've never had dominion like this before. Takes an animal, kills it for no reason. It's not for food. So, so think about from their perspective what this is. It's, like, it's almost like it hurts a little bit. Like, why are you killing that animal? And he strips it of the skin. You know, not guts it, but just strips the skin off and cloaks them to cover them. It's like, oh. It's like, yeah, that's what, we, that's what happens. You know, then the picture I always, in my mind, think about is what was that interaction like with them and God in that moment? Were they just kind of sitting like this as he's doing what he's doing, just of condemnation and guilt and what, what have we done? And what was God's face? What was his emotion in that experience for him? Of course, he's all-knowing, all, omnipotent, omniscient. He knows all, so he knew it was going to happen. But what was in that moment the experience for him, this broken of bre- breaking of fellowship? Cloaks them, puts the cherubim or the angels at the, at the gateway of the garden with two huge fiery swords and sends them on their way. And I've always thought about what that walk of shame probably was like as they're walking away from the garden. That's all they've ever known. And those fiery swords that were 12 feet or 20 feet high or whatever it was, they start to get slower as you, as you, for the further you go. They're slower. They're, it's, you know, it's, it's lower, lower, smaller, smaller until it's just out of sight. And there they are with the cloak that God gave them starting to cultivate the cursed land. The first picture of grace that I feel like we see is not only God wanting to cover them and not just sending them out with just loin cloths made out of fig leaves, but what he also does is he does the sacrifice of the animal to cover them, to protect them. That's grace. What also is grace is this. God wanted the fellowship back. Because what could have happened, God could have said, they're out, they're done, humanity's done, I'm starting over, kick this whole thing, you're gone, let's start fresh and new. 
But what God did is he continued to pursue his people because that's what he does. That is the grace message. That's point A to point B in the book. Bookend to bookend is God pursuing his people. You're here because God has pursued you, not because you drove here. God is wanting to do a work together with you. That's why in the time of worship, I I felt as though the Spirit was wanting to do it. You made the first step by coming. The second step is being vulnerable and letting the Spirit do the working in your heart. It's not me by what I say. It's more of the, the Spirit doing an individual work in each one of you. That's God's grace right there, that he wants to continue to pursue, and God wanted fellowship back. So, so there's two different things here. There's relationship and there's fellowship. Relationship is like, you know, I'm related to my cousin who lives in Ohio, and I see him once a year. I work at a certain place, so there's some relationship. People know I work there. But fellowship, fellowship is intimate. Fellowship is in relationship with a person when it comes to having conversation. Fellowship is, you know, we had uh, some people over our house on Friday night. We're laughing and joking and having fun. That is fellowship, intimate relationship. And that's what God had in the garden with Adam and Eve. But relationship is just general association. That could mean anything. And I think what we want to establish is God wants not just relationship with his people. That's why I don't believe that God's up there and he's sort of just this God who's disconnected. How can that be? Even even you think of an inventor. There's always a close connection. But that's why I don't believe that God is just up there because we have the book and we hear the story and we hear how God wants fellowship back. How God has fellowship with us is covenant relationship. This whole series, we've, taught, we've said it's veritas. What does veritas mean? Truth. This whole series is about truth and diving into the nature of what the Bible is and what these concepts in the Bible are and what, what is in the Bible and how, do we, how does that relate to us Uh, How do we relate to God? What is he all about? And so today's topic is really going to be talking about covenant relationship, primarily old covenant. Next week, this is sort of a two-part message where we're going to be talking about old covenant today and new covenant. There's a lot of misconceptions on old covenant. A lot of times we think of law, old covenant, Old Testament, that's all the same and it's all garbage and I don't need to read it. I just New Testament, Jesus, yeah, that's where I want to read. But really that's inappropriate to to think of it that way. Number one, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and the law are three inherently different things. The Old Testament talks about the Old Covenant. The Old Testament also has prophetic books that speak about the coming of Jesus. So the Old Testament's not just Old Covenant. And the covenant relationship is how God has fellowship. It's not the law, which we'll talk about covenant and we'll talk about law to give you some perspective and how to think about old covenant so you can kind of say okay that makes sense to me I got that now so first you have to understand the nature of covenant we know that Adam and Eve broke the fellowship so what God wanted to do is he wants to establish that back he wants to have fellowship and how he does that is he establishes covenants with his people how's how does a covenant work well you may think covenant yeah kind of like contract that's not the same at all contract and covenant are very two different very much two different things how would, you say, well, how would you say that, Jesse? Well, let me explain it to you. I do a lot of talking to myself. 
I don't even know if you're even listening. I just talk to myself and it helps me get through the message. So uh, contract is very much a set of obligations and standards and stipulations that benefit you. How do I know that? Well, when you have a contract with, a, with your cell phone provider, what do they do? Well, you got to do this, this, and this. And if you cancel early, you get a... You get a... Early termination fee, a fee. Why? Because it benefits them. When you have people that are in contract with one another, it's all about what I get and what's going to benefit me. That's why when you negotiate contracts, it's never about the other person. It's about what you get, not what they get. Contracts are about you. Covenant, that's a totally different story. Covenant is about servanthood and about giving of yourself. Covenant is about releasing yourself and dying to yourself and entering in relationship with another. That's what marriage is. That's what God did with Adam and Eve. That's what God does in the old covenant. We're going to talk about how that works. But covenant relationship is very much of a giving of yourself. And the mechanics are this. One is, you read in scripture, you find out at the highest level, what is the old covenant? Well, it's found in couple scriptures, Jeremiah 30, 22, this is it. So you will be my people and I will be your God. And we know that God is a great father and that's a positive message. That's him giving of himself. Hebrews 13, 5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. These are covenant, highest level covenant stipulations between us and God. This is how he gives of himself. Now this is the text we're going to look at today. If you'll go with me to Exodus 19, 5 and 6. The slide's a little messed up, and it says Exodus 19, 1 through 6. We're just going verses 5 and 6. So that should be up there. There it is. That 1 is actually a 5. Y'all with me still? I feel like I'm just, I'm like bubbly, really bubbly. I hope you guys are hearing the message. I'm just excited about this topic. A lot of times you hear people say, it's like, oh, we're going to learn about the Bible. It's like, yeah, the Bible is the most important book in the world. This tells us the story about Jesus. I love talking about Jesus as much as I love talking about Old Covenant because you cannot understand your relationship with Jesus if you do not understand Old Covenant. You can't understand what Jesus can do for you and what his, the price, the high price he paid of having intimate relationship with God unless you understand the stipulations and the Old Covenant and what is in the Old Testament. So this is incredibly important to understanding grace and mercy and who God is. So it says in Exodus 19, 5 and 6, it says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So this is... God talking to Moses saying, this is how it's going to be. And so remember how, how I said covenant is about giving of yourself. It's about servant. It's about giving, giving of yourself humbly. Well, how God does is God has approached us first. So that's how he gave of himself. You will be my people. I'm going to be your God. And we're going to be in great relationship together. That's how I give. Now, what do you give? That's where the law comes in. The law is how we give. The law, the Mosaic law, what God gave Moses, the Ten Commandments, if you will, plus the 660-ish laws that are in the Mosaic law, that's how we were to give, the Hebrew people. That's their covenant relationship with God. 
Does that make sense? Covenant relationship, God gives, you're going to be my people, I'm going to be your God, I'll never leave you, forsake you, that's how I give, and how you give is, I need you to follow these, this, this law. And so we find the law in Exodus, excuse me, um, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, we see this holistic law, and a little bit of Exodus that comes through, and we can see holistically what God was, was, uh, was designing for his people. This was the law that would do a couple things. There's a, a couple high-level things, I think, with law that we need to understand. Um, these laws would separate these people from any other people group. What, we would, what they would say in those days would be those would be pagans. So these are God's people because he's chosen them. These 12 tribes that he operates through and he loves, starting with Abraham, working their way down, the lineage. These are, these are God's people. And there's very much uh, fundamental views when you think about law holistically. There is ways that God enge- wants us to engage in fellowship with him. And we'll talk about that. That's one of the elements of the law. Another element of the law is how you relate to your neighbor. You know, don't steal from your neighbor, don't murder your neighbor, those type of things. There is uh, laws on how uh, you are to be clean when it comes to hygiene and health. There's elements of the law there that God uh, organized and, and aligned. You know, there was, you know, laws where people would, uh, you'd have, if you had uh, like spots on your hands, well, God knows that there's disease, so if that happens, you've got to go run to the priest. I wouldn't want to be the priest. Everyone's coming to me with their problems, their medical problems. Hey, priest, I got this other, I got this growth back here. Can you take a look at that? You know, then you'd have to go to the priest when you had this, and then what would happen is if there was something that was a little off, they would remove you from the community for a season, and then when that got better, you could join in, but if it wasn't good, you'd have to be removed. Another part of the law is in your home, if there was mold and things that were growing, well, we've got to shut that down. Get, ugh, get, that, get that out of here. We've got we to tear this thing down from the ground up. Gone. So that's a part of, of, of this Mosaic law in the ways that we are in covenant, how we give of ourselves in covenant relationship with God so he can have fellowship with us. So I have some just bullets of, of, uh, of some of the things, a little bit more going a little deeper in what I, in what I, what I was mentioning as far as the high-level topic points of, of law. One of the most important things is the structure for the structure to uh, satisfy what sin is. It says in Scripture, without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. So what the law also does, and it's at really a, a major point of the law, is to be the mediator between us and God. Because God inherently is holy. He always is holy. He is this holy and we are unholy because we have this thing inside of us called free will and flesh and the original sin because of Adam and Eve. So we can't be there. So he has a mediator and that would be the law. That's that part of that covenant relationship. And we know going forward, Jesus is the one who is the ultimate mediator who brings full fellowship back to the, really in a sense, the way it was in the garden. But here, this is the law is the one that mediates between us and God. And so what they would do every year, the Day of Atonement, they would have really a season of festivities, remembering God, remembering he's the God that brought us out of, out of Egypt and brought us out of slavery. And so what they would do is every sin in the community, they would, um, they would put it on this animal. I wouldn't want to be that animal. 
You know, number, he's just holding himself. He's like, oh, the sin, the sin. So everybody's sin would go on this animal, and there was a very specific way that you needed to take care of this animal. You know, you need to splatter blood here on this part of the altar and splatter blood here, and if you don't, it's like you could die. People died when they didn't do it right. So it's very specific and strategic on how you should be handling these things. And so all the sin of the community, people would bring in their, their offerings and the priest would be the one to really take care of this whole operation. So they would put all the sin on this animal and they would kill it and send it off and put it back into a, a place far away from the camp and that's where all the sin goes. And that's how that would work when, with this old covenant. So that was a big part of old covenant was a structure to offer uh, sin. Also part of the law was the establishment of the clergy, if you will, or the people that were uh, the spiritual leaders in the community. So you have Aaron, who we know of, who was with Moses in the beginning. And, and Aaron was one who, uh, his, he was a Levite. So the Levitical line starts with Aaron. And so that would be your priestly line. And these people didn't own land. They were ones who were taken care of by the community. And that's why you see tithes start to show up. So tithes, everyone in the community would give 10% of everything. You, you know, we would say 10% of your money, they were giving 10% of everything. Everything they had, land, spices, whatever it may be, 10% went to the Levitical line, and that's how they were taken care of. They, weren't, they didn't own anything, they were just ones who were spiritual leaders in God's house. So this is the element of the law. Old covenant is not the law. Old covenant is within the law. They go hand in hand, but old covenant is the, or excuse me, the law is the way that we are in fellowship, the way that we give of ourselves in covenant relationship. Are you guys with me? That was a lot of sort of heady, but I tried to make it entertaining so we could sort of keep you engaged. So do you understand that? Because this is very, very, very vital to understand new covenant, which we'll talk about next week. So you've heard it said, uh, old covenant or the law or what have you, any misconceptions? Well, that was bad. The law was bad. It was for bad people, and they're all bad, and the law, everything was bad. Bad, bad, bad. I don't want to read it. And you're wrong again. So let's read in 2 Corinthians 3.9. You can turn there. I'll just kind of speak to it. But Paul calls the law glorious. Well, how could that be? Paul says the law is glorious. Well, that doesn't make sense to me because that's not what I was taught. I know, me too. The law is perfect. You are not. The law is glorious. You are not. The law is a great way for the Lord to show us that even when you try to do the right thing, two things are going to happen with the law. One is you'll feel condemned. That's why we say the law brings condemnation. That's what the scripture says. Not because it's bad, but because you're bad. And then if you do everything in the law, you become self-righteous. So you can't win with the law. That's what God is trying to prove to people and show to say, I am going to satisfy the law myself. All these things that you cannot do, I am going to do that myself. That's the nature of Christ coming in as a man, fully God, fully man. I'm going to come in, I'm God. Since you can't do it, I'll do it for you and to satisfy this relationship once and for all. And then we have intimate relationship and he completed it for all. He's the one perfect sacrifice. 
like I said, we'll talk about that next week because that's going to be where we're going to get real Pentecostal up in this piece. Today, we're more like a Baptist going through. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Listen, I, I'm on the same page with a lot of Baptists, believe it or not. So uh, I said Baptist. I lost my train of thought. The law is perfect, you are not. This is what the law does. It brings out the worst in you, whether you want it to or not. Paul said I was, you know, it's like self-righteous Pharisee, faultless. I did everything perfectly. That's what Paul says about himself. He did it all brilliantly. I achieved everything. I was zealous. I did it 100%. And what did it yield me? Zero, zip, nada, nothing. So even if you follow the rules and you go to church and you go to life group and you journal every day, you know, it's funny, I was looking at the journals, I was flipping through, a lot of times we'll say, it's not, hey folks, it's not a check the box. It's not a check the box. I was looking at the journals, I was like, there's a check box. It's just a check the box. It's like, we need to change that. It's like, check the box. It's not about to check the box. I'm checking the box. That doesn't make any sense. So does the, uh, does the old covenant, does this mosaic law apply today? And this is kind of where we're going to wrap it up. Does it apply today? Um, yes, and, yes and no. So one thing is the law was for who? It was for the Hebrew people. So are you a Jew? No one's a Jew. So, it doesn't, so therefore it doesn't apply to you. But if you were a Jew, we would say, well, this is the old covenant and Jesus came to establish the new covenant. So that part of the letter of the law, that doesn't really apply to us anymore. Number two is, you know, like I said, there's, there's, a, there's a new covenant. And we'll talk about that next week. Uh, there are parts of the law that apply to, to today. So in many courtrooms, Dwindling quickly is the Ten Commandments, which you would see, and do not murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery. These are laws of humanity. Those still apply. Those are never going to change. You know, that's, we need order. We need order in our society, so you don't want to go around murdering people with an axe. That probably wouldn't be good. So you want to stay civil with people. And so there are parts of the law that still apply to every person in whether they believe in God or not, would say, yeah, we think murder is wrong. So that's part, that was built into the law. So that, in a sense, applies. But I think what we want to, to really understand is that the, we ourselves would, cannot, will not, not be able to fulfill any law. And so what God does in his nature, and what we were talking about earlier is that God desires fellowship back with you. And so I'll give you sort of a teaser, I think, with some of the things that we're going to talk about next week is a lot of us, you've been trying to be a law-abiding citizen and you've been falling short. And, and you've reduced your relationship with God to a set of checkboxes and do's and don'ts. It's kind of like what I was saying earlier. There's a checkbox in the journaling. How can that be? But when you disconnect from relationship with the Holy Spirit, which is probably one of the most fascinating, encouraging things that have ever happened in mankind is having the Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts. If you don't go there and don't allow him to work in, inside of you and spend time with him, then you will resort back to law. That's kind of how Satan wants it. 
He wants you to doubt the word and not be here and not be in community with each other and not do that because then it'll just be like everybody else. You'll turn into just a glorified philanthropist doing good things for good people. I had a conversation with someone the other day and we were talking about how sometimes the, the idea of outreach, the way that the church has branded it lowercase c, um, it has become more of a self-serving than a serving somebody else. Because why? Well, because you feel good and you did a good deed and you can put on your Facebook wall and tell everyone what you did and make sure you track the likes to make sure everyone saw it. But when you are engaged here, what happens is your good deeds turn into spirit works that were predestined for you before time even began. That's what we read in Ephesians 2. When you start to allow the Holy Spirit to do this work in you, then in that, what happens is you start, to, you start to hear his voice clearer because you are disciplined in your time with him and then he starts to order your steps, as it says in the Bible. But that's kind of where I want to, to end this as a, uh, as, a, as a pause and then we'll go into it next week. And the last slide I'd like to put up is this. The law was the gateway to fellowship in part. Now Jesus is the gateway to fellowship for all. That's really where we want to be, is all of us want to be in relationship with Jesus. But even though you say the law is bad or you would think the law is not a good thing, you, by your nature, if not checked and not with the Holy Spirit, you will resort to that because you're a sinner, just like me. It's only by relationship with Jesus in which he'll guide your steps. But if you don't have that, you'll just resort to, I know what I should be doing and I have to do it and I'm not. So then you feel what? condemned, can't do it. And then you have the other batch of Christians that are very much at doing everything well. I don't know, type A personalities or what have you, but they're checking every box and they're letting you know about it. That's self-righteousness. But boy, when you have that relationship with Jesus, it, it turns the corner. And that's what we're gonna talk, that's what we're gonna talk about tomorrow. So John, if you would come back up and, and uh, close us out as we're gonna be saying a, a prayer. So the Valentine's Day story I shared with you. So what happened at the tail end of that, I didn't get to share that, but I'll share it now. So as you know, I did something uh, royally wrong and just completely did not do anything. No card, no nothing for my, for my wife. And so because she's awesome and I'm a very lucky man, she took this opportunity to really teach me a lesson and I want to be able to teach you guys the lesson as well. So even though she was incredibly angry at that moment, she took some time, went for a drive, had time with the Holy Spirit, and then she went off and she went to the grocery store to to Target or whatever, and she bought me a Keurig, because I really, really wanted a Keurig, I never had one. And so she went out and she came back, and at this point I'm just like, wow, I really, really bombed it really, really bombed it as I had time alone because there's no one there to argue with, so you just wouldn't argue with yourself, although I do that too, but, um, but I was just like, all right, I just need to get this right, and so I was just waiting for her to come back, and I was just like, I just need to apologize and get this right, so she came back. She comes in with a big box with a big smile on her face, like, here's your Keurig, and I was like, I don't, I can't believe this. I, I don't even understand. Jesus is like that. You can't accomplish anything. God pursues you. 
you're going to fail, but God wants to come with you with a cure and say, it doesn't matter, I've paid it all. You don't need to do anything. I just want to be in fellowship with you. We, we reduce the sacrifice that Jesus made to a way that we have salvation instead of really understanding that what it was was he's redeeming and being the mediator to us having fellowship with God. Through fellowship with God, through that, then you get to have joy, peace, patience. You get salvation. You get eternal life. But it's out of the attitude and posture of fellowship. The very thing that, we, that God gives us is some of, really the main thing that we don't really put as a priority. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do this for Jesus. I got to do that for Jesus. I got to do this for my life. I got to do that. I'll get around to it when I can, when I check the box on the journal. I'll get around to it. But it's like, that's the, no wonder, it's like the enemy is so pretty clever as we talked about last week. That's the one thing he wants to remove so that you will not have fellowship and intimate relationship with the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Almighty, the one we call God, the creator of the universe, Yahweh. So let's take a minute and let's take a minute and pray. Lord, I, I thank you for this message and, and uh, a brief overview, I feel, of what the law is, what the law isn't, what the Old Testament is, what the Old Testament isn't. I guess if you can do that in, in 30 minutes, God. And I, and I pray that this would start to begin uh, a posture of us to go, you know, I, I can't, I'm, I shouldn't be operating law-based. It should be grace-based and Jesus-based because Jesus, you, you paid it all. And we get what we don't deserve. We don't get what we deserve. Like Laura giving me that Keurig when it's the last thing that I should ever need or should have in that moment. But that's such a good practical example of how you come to us, Lord. If we just would simply believe, that's what you say. And in the word, it doesn't say it's by choice in which you're saved. It's by your will in which you're saved. It's because your grace is how we are saved. God, help us marinate in that and rest in that and focus on that because it is that alone that matters to our very soul is your grace and from your grace we have relationship and all we have to do is obey if we just make the time for you Lord so God in, in this next week I, I pray that as we are break off into our life groups and break off in just your life with our, with our friends and what have you, with our work, that we would really be thinking about this, that we have to stop coming to you saying, look what I've done, or I'm sorry I didn't do. We need to come to you and say, I love you. And, he said, and God says to you, I love you. Let's do life. Let's do my mission together. I include you. Let's do life. I love you. I love your family. I love your, I love, I placed you in your workplace. I'm excited. Let's work that together. Such an honor, Lord, to be considered your sons and daughters. Boy, we take that for granted. So God, in this week, we pray that you'd be with us. We pray that you would uh, be alongside us as we continue to journey with your Veritas truth. Because you are the truth, the way, the truth, and life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about Grace Capital Church or how to get a copy of this broadcast, 
please visit us online at gccnh.com.